Hello there, this is How to Murder Time, a podcast about books and things. Hello everybody. Watch Hello. We're back again with another book one. And Dr. Tyrax here, who's joining us. Hello there, yes, I'm still here, hanging <laughs> on. Yep, so this this time uh, we've gone with John's pick. Uh, this is Philip K. Dick's Man in the High Castle, which is the uh, winner from 1963, uh, the Hugo novel winner. I think it was just novel back then. There wasn't all the various length categories back then. Uh, and I'll go with the back of the book to set the mood. Uh, Philip K. Dick's acclaimed cult novel gives us a horrifying glimpse of an alternative world, one where the Allies have lost the Second World War. In this nightmare dystopia, the Nazis have taken over New York, the Japanese control California, and the African continent is virtually wiped out. In a neutral buffer zone that divides the rival superpowers in America lives the author of an underground bestseller. His book offers a new vision of reality, giving hope to the disenchanted. Can other better worlds really exist? Uh, so yeah, so what follows is uh, basically a, dis a kind of alternative, parallel, alternative history type novel um, where the Nazis won the Second World War. This is set. This the whole the whole story is set in in the Californian, what's known as the Pacific States of America, which is the uh, the bit the the bit conquered and occupied by the Japanese at the end of the uh, Second World War, uh, and also in the Rocky Mountain states, which is a sort of neutral buffer zone section in the center of America, which uh, keeps the two conquered parts yeah. of America apart. Because no one wants the Midwest. <laughs> when you've captured America, you just still leave it alone. Well, I think also the just the end of the, the end of the Second World War. Neither the Japanese nor the uh, the Germans wanted to uh, be having having a, a border across America, so they essentially divided up a middle section as a buffer zone. I think is the idea there. Um, we don't really get to see much about the the United States of America, which is the the name retained by the the East Coast portion um, occupied by the Nazis. Most of the most of the story takes place in in the in the California section and and in the Rocky Mountain area. And we follow a, a, a several characters through uh, a sort of, I don't know, kind of sort of a whimsical, meandering uh, series of events that are quite difficult to follow, to be honest, quite difficult to explain. Mm. Uh, I, I almost yeah, ran into trouble yeah, I, with this. <laughs> I struggled. So and I always struggle if there's mm. if there's several different um, sort of stories going on one after another, because what happens is. It it gives you a bit of story, and then mm. just as soon as you get interested, it forgets about it until you've got bored of it, and then it brings it back. Yeah, so that's... you're always just being, you're always getting to a point where it starts to get interesting, and then they leave it. Yeah, so I'll have a go at trying to sort of work, <laughs> step through the basics of, of what happens. So you've got several characters there. Uh, there's a chap called Bob Childen, who is uh, a... a and antique dealer who specializes in americana in, in in old wild west bits and pieces um which the occupying japanese sort of ruling class tend to love and go mad for and i've got a real thing about uh sort of historically authentic uh bits of wild west cowboy guns that sort of thing and old 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 um old signs and diners diner signs that sort of thing and so he's he's made this this chance made uh, quite a living by running an antique shop and sourcing and then selling Selling uh, these these bits of the lost, vanished America to the occupying Japanese, who have a kind of fascination with the culture that they've themselves come in and essentially begun to supplant, certainly on the uh, the West Coast. Um, so, he, and he's not a very likable character at all, and and he's, he's he's extremely racist in his own personal views and stuff. He sort of works hard to try and appease the the, the ruling Japanese and try to get in their good books and, and adopt their mannerisms and stuff. All the while having this really sort of hypocritical streak within him where he's essentially and in a monologue where he's constantly sort of going on about how they are not liking them and that sort of thing then you've got a chap called frank frink who's a metal worker who works in a factory who are turning out fake uh, american artifacts fake americana and selling on to to bob children and children doesn't know that they're faked and, and sort of later in the novel he gets this pointed out by uh, one of the japanese who has a valuation done and this is a sort of sense of source of enormous personal shame and so on but um frink is is basically trying to sort of get out of them the the metal workshop and 
start his own jewellery business and he ends up um, blackmailing his boss about the about the fake antiques so that he can get some money to start a factory and starts making jewellery, which uh, the Japanese tend, seem to, to really like. You've got um, Juliana Frink, who's his ex-wife, and she's, she starts, we, we meet her in, the, in Colorado in the sort of Rocky Mountain area. She's a judo instructor who uh, is, has become fascinated with a novel that turns up within the book, a sort of book within the book, as it were, called The Grasshopper Lies Heavy. And this this novel portrays, it's, it's a kind of banned prescribed book, it's kind of an underground book sort of thing, and is it, it, it's a novel about an alternative reality where the Allies won the Second World War. Now, I don't know if that's specifically meant to be our our world, our real history, or whether that's yet another it's not parallel quite world. the it's not. same because yeah, uh, yeah. things started to go awry just before the Second World War. Mm. Um, so she's she's become increasingly fixated with this book and 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 has, has sort of taken on a kind of personal mission to find the author who is known as the man in the high castle, which is essentially the title drop there. He's the author of the Grasshopper Lies Heavy. This 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 sort of improbable improbably realistic i mean she she utterly believes that this thing is real but can't quite work out how and why so sort of conceives a, a sort of mission a quest as it were to go off and find this man in a high castle and try and get try and work out why he knows so much about this other world and how how he's how he's got so detailed about it all she is a bit touched though she's not she's not entirely with it the entire time mm -hmm. so the fact that she he buys into this and believes it utterly doesn't necessarily mean it's one of the great novels of all time no no but it's only it's sort of confused gives, she, yeah it almost takes on a, oh, not so, i suppose a sort of quasi-religious aspect she sort of invests a lot of herself and f a, a belief into this this book this i suppose it portrays a better world it's a kind of escapism from her sort of somewhat dreary life and how you know the world all around her is is, is, is generally quite a grim and and sort of dilapidated faded place also that the author's a bit of a focus uh he he's a guy the, the guy who is the man in the high castle who mm -hmm. people tend to seem to look up to or hold in a kind of awe yeah yeah there's all sorts of rumors the reason he's called the man in the high castle is because there's, there's rumors that he lives in a sort of a fortified compound with all sorts of guards and, and sort of um, defences and so on, largely because he believes, and I think rightly as it turns out, that the Nazis are out to get him because, because he's essentially writing propaganda against the, the course of events that have put them in charge. So, so he has this reputation of being really hard to track down and so on. Um, then well, there's another sort of strand going on with a chap called Baines, who is a Swedish industrialist we get introduced to quite early on, who's on a business trip to the trade delegation in San Francisco from from Europe, from Germany. And there's this really sort of quite drawn out sort of business meeting that needs to be set up between himself and I think Nobuski Tagomi, who's essentially the sort of ranking Japanese trade official in, in San Francisco. And he's he's trying to arrange a meeting between Baines and a higher up from mainland Japan as well. And there's some there's a lot of hush hush stuff going on. And almost immediately you know this there's more going on here than just some sort of trade dip trade negotiations going on. So that sort of develops throughout the uh, the novel as well. And that sort of turns out to sort of become I'm trying to remember it all. It's it's, it's quite a it's quite a strange book in that it doesn't didn't really leave any sort of stark straight trail of narrative through there's a lot of a lot of small in, small byways and cul-de-sacs going on in the in well, the in the prose i found that's but, philip k dick all over <laughs> yes, isn't it? yeah yeah but i think it turns out that Story. baines baines is essentially uh it turns out to be actually a nazi defector and his he's he's trying to mm, warm no and he's not a defector he's part of one of the many cliques inside the nazi government okay. who happens to not want to destroy pan Mm, yes. Not a defector from the Nazi sort of right. government. So sort of more of a subtle politics thing going on there. Than a... mm -hmm. But yes, there's there's a large plan in the offing to carry out a surprise attack, probably nuclear. I can't remember if it was actually specified, but yes, on, on the Japanese specified. home yeah. islands. Um, basically, the Nazis having had a, you know, 20, 30, 40 years to, to, to uh, 
re regroup and recover and and carry out all sorts of atrocities on the African continent and now ready to to press the uh, the, the global domination plan and attack Japan suddenly out of nowhere as a surprise attack and that's the sort of that's the uh, casts a sort of pall a kind of uh, ominous foreshadowing over the entire sort of events because you know you, even before this plan's revealed you get the sense that you know geopolitically things are not settled things are not you know content and ready to move on so you get this um yeah this sort of large high stakes diplomatic negotiation thing going on in one side um and togomi ends up uh, managing to um, thwart the attempt by some nazi secret police to come in and uh, arrest brains and take him away and just to shoot them down with, uh, with an antique american pistol that he bought from from bob children in the end i think um and there's never really, there's not much more beyond that with the fallout from that. Um, we don't really hear much more about how that works. I think Baines ends up going back to Europe, and and that's it. You know, whether the the plan's thwarted or not, we don't know. Um, meanwhile, Juliana then hooks up with a chap called Joe Cinadella, who's uh, an Italian American truck driver, um, and ends up uh, starting a bit of a fling with him. But and um, he is quite fascinated by the whole man in a high castle as well and they they go together to find the find the guy and he turns out to be really easy to find i it's like you know just an inquiry in a phone book or something doesn't it in the end um and then yeah, Cinder- he'd been built up to be something way more than yes, he was yes so then Cinderella and sort of starts to change his mannerisms and becomes a bit more professional about it all, which which alerts Juliana to the to the possibility that he's probably a Nazi assassin, and so she ends up attacking him in a hotel room and leaves him for dead, and then carries on on her own to find the man in High Castle. Um, and then the sort of the, <laughs> it's difficult to call it a denouement, difficult to call it a, a, a resolution because, um, yeah. And then the events run out. The, <laughs> Juliana, yeah, spoiler alert, Juliana basically meets the man in High Castle, who's actually a chap called Hawthorne Abinson, who just lives in a little rural suburban estate. Apparently, he did used to live in a fortress, but it was a lot of hassle, so and no one, no one was coming for him, so he, so he moved to somewhere a bit more, uh, a bit more normal. Uh, and so she sort of barges in during during a dinner party and, and confronts him about the book and, and quizzes him and so on and he basically confesses to the fact that the book was written but with the use of the I Ching which is the uh, you, you, you throw your yarrow stalks or coins and read the paragraphs of fortune telling um, and he was using that as his primary mechanism to write this The Grasshopper Lies Heavy which I suppose comes Juliana then interprets to mean that the truth wrote the book rather than the, rather than a piece of fiction from a man. It was it's somehow the div- divination and from the I Ching had managed to predict more or less the, uh, the 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 events that we see as our actual history, um, and then it sort of stops. Oh no! Did no, I miss no, no, no. Right at the end. <laughs> yep. Then it turns out, according to the author of the Grasshopper Lies Heavy, that mm. she. It's not human, actually a fairy creature. Oh wow! I I sort of picked up. I thought that was just a metaphor. I don't. <laughs> well, I, the thing is, they were using, they were talking about the I Ching magic as if it was mm. real. Yes, and he seemed to genuinely believe some sort of some sort of spirit. I don't know, I, Irish spirit fairy thing, which had <laughs> uh, which had come. Um, the magic had brought her here because she was just her her decisions took her and she had no plans and then she just happened to kill an assassin just yes. as she was dancing around and then she wandered out of it and disappeared again and you think oh good god that was they 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 added a bit too much magic that they weren't sure about they sort of treated it as real but i'm not sure whether anyone was sure it was real yeah yeah i mean uh, regular listeners will will probably realize i'm having a bit of trouble with this one <laughs> it's I, is this a philip k dick thing is this i mean I philip k read... dick is weird and some are better mm-hmm. than others and in my mm-hmm. opinion this is not one of his best but this is the one that won the hugo <laughs> Yes, this is the one. I mean, it's not, it's not just this mishmash nonsense of psychedelic themes and imagery that go nowhere and have been clearly written by someone off their head on drugs or anything. There, there are whole sections of, of quite well-constructed scene. I suppose scenes is, is what you get. I, you, get I on, you get scenes connected in no real yeah, relevant manner. I have the manner. opinion that Philip K. Dick shines best 
when he's doing short stories. Yeah, That's we, where all of the good books that turned into films have come from. That's where yes. all the memorable things tend to be. And the bigger books, although they have their moments, and some of them are quite good, tend mm. to get bogged down with weird ideas quite quickly. And this just feels like lots of ideas for short stories in a shared universe, maybe which could have been formatted better in a, a more coherent way. Yeah, I mean, yeah. when you describe it like that, that makes absolute absolute sense yeah that it does come across as essentially as a very small set of shorts it's almost like a short story anthology some of which the events carry over into other short stories it's all small small vignettes small yeah. scenes and, and those Lots scenes to read yeah those scenes are very well painted as well they're very detailed very very evocative they they really are well fleshed out and you sort of you, you totally buy into the situation and each each particular scene of the people you know their motivations their inner monologues and so on but as, as a as a i don't i don't know i mean am I, I feel like i'm expecting from a novel a kind of journey a kind of a to b to c to d you know a kind of yeah story you know and that seems to be the one thing that is nebulous if if non-existent in here really and it's it's hard it's hard to read it would have been a lot easier if he'd just in each of the short stories and had the beginning middle and end of each of those as mm. separate chapters it would yeah. have been a lot easier to read it would have seemed a lot more coherent yeah, and organized yeah. and thoughtful rather than writing a bit of a short story isn't necessarily overly furnished with plot anyway and then moving away from it and coming back to it two chapters later when you've forgotten about it all the writing is very very good but the the coherence is really lacking mm, it, which to i me, suspect might be philip k dick all over yeah, really <laughs> to me it felt like a very well organized and well formatted campaign background book for a D campaign you have the little insert stories that can be quite well written you've got yeah. little images and and bits that sort of show you the world yeah. you've got the oh this is the history because they had that they had basil exposition front and center for a chapter where uh, some japanese official came in and shouted about who all the nazis were and, and mm. some of them are from real history and some of them are it may be made up for this story, but nonetheless, it was it was sort of b bullet points of all the Nazis, and so it did feel like they were just writing facts so you could make a campaign out of it. Because I wonder if that's actually what the exercise here was. I mean, I don't know anything at all about actual writing, but I'm guessing, you know, if you're writing a massive long you know, doorstopper series, you're going to have some kind of I don't know, what's the phrase, not style bible, some sort of campaign. It, I, I guess. I'm thinking more uh, almost of Tolkien, to be honest. The, the, the sort of reams and reams and reams of notes that were mostly for his own his own continuity, for his own reference when he was putting together Lord of the Rings and whatever, which you know then get published decades after his death under you know under the unf unfinished tales. But the idea of an author doing a lot of background research and doing preparatory work of small stories and and yeah the the exposition dumps and so on as 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 a sort of building blocks for his own work and this feels like that it was the pre preparatory work for an actual massive novel with a proper story and i don't know i don't know does that seem feasible it's it's it, it comes think, across as notes in in a way if, yeah very good notes but. if it had somebody else i think, I think that's absolutely what it could not sure that philip k dick ever had the wherewithal to create a story inside a novel Mm. He just this is as this is as good as he got. He just did really well written sort of jewels and then he just gave us a bag of jewels. He didn't give us a story. Mm -hmm. Which which leads to so many so many short John, stories being turned said, into Hollywood stories, movies, uh, yeah. yeah. Because I certainly agree with John about the short stories. I think they're, they're far better than his novels. He gets a bit lost when he's asked to write more than, you know, 30 pages. We end up with sort of a series of short stories that is all held together, sort of loosely. Yeah, it's very well written. Yeah. It really is very well written. It's, I, I certainly can sort of, with no doubt about that at all. But all of this is why this is the one which was suited to be turned into a TV show. Mm -hmm. it's mm. it's ideal it it's basically is the series bible for a TV show if you were to do it, and it turns out they have now. 
yeah yeah. Uh, yeah in a way that that is a serious bible that's perhaps the phrase i was looking for yeah it's like it's like it is a preparatory text for a more ambitious and lengthier and involved work and i suppose the tv show yeah i mean i've seen one episode of that i don't have the right sort of television to watch most of this stuff and i don't watch a lot of telly anyway but i think i caught the first episode um around a friend's house um with with space telly you know all the all the cables and netflixes and what have you um it's amazon uh, but go ahead <laughs> yes <laughs> Damn, he's called my bluff on television. Um, but yeah, and I was just watching through that, and I, th- I watched that, and that was good, you know, fair enough. And I came back and I read through this, and I thought, wow, just comparing that first one episode, I think in that first episode, they get through about three quarters of this book just in that one episode. And this is a series of however many episodes, I don't know, six, 13, all, 28, or whatever. They also managed to get through that much and add so much more weight oh, they to have the to story add a load more as well yeah mm. in particularly the in the on the tv show you get a lot more backstory about new york and the nazi occupied side of things and that isn't even touched in this book at all you get some hints and some dark yeah, rumors about yeah, what goes on in the europe the nazi side isn't very nice and mm, it's, it's, actually the japanese side is the better side to be on yeah yeah but you get you get sort of vaguer sides about how they've drained the mediterranean and turned it into farmland and how they're actually on the moon and on that mars was and venus and stuff. project you know yeah well i guess and, and there's yeah. all sorts of horrifically dark ominous uh, stuff about I mean, africa about how essentially being yeah. literally burned scorched I, that I don't know. felt that felt very real it really mm. the, the 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 racism in this book felt like he meant it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, it might so, well be that's not, but but it certainly was believably meant. But not talking comedic Indiana me, Jones Nazis here at no, all. No, no. It reminds me of when I was growing up in Germany in the sort of seventies, mm. and my, sort of talking to people, and my dad talking to people who'd been there at the during the war. And they're then seeing the Americans and the Allies coming in and occupying the country. Because yeah. essentially the British Army, when I was there, were the occupation still. Yeah, um, yeah. They were, by then they were defending the Germans against the Russians, but nonetheless. Mm. And they had said they couldn't believe how well they were treated by the Americans and the British when they came in invaded they didn't didn't occur they to were them just expecting that anyone worse. would yeah they it didn't occur mm. to them that anyone would be that nice to them after the war which does paint quite a good illustration that if they'd won then probably wouldn't have been as pleasant well, being in german occupied countries so this must have been a hard thing to write and do the research for then if if uh, he's sort of painting painting such a bleak picture he must have gone into some of the details you know gone into quite a bit of detail with what actually went on during the second world war i mean um i sort of found an interesting snippet on wikipedia there which basically that he said he'd started several times to write a sequel but progressed little because he was too disturbed by his original research and, uh, and could not mentally bear to go back and read about nazis again um which sort of <laughs> which sort of come, suggests that he probably didn't enjoy a lot of that um the background research for the book um and probably that, that comes across somewhere in the writing the, the the sort of grimness of the uh, the Nazis side of things. I mean, as you say, yeah, the, the Japanese almost seem quite benevolent by comparison. They're arriving force in on the west coast of America, but generally seem to treat the the the, the country well. The the people seem to get on with the uh, yeah, but they're force. still not nice. They're only better in reflection to the other yeah. side. And I think that's an interesting comparison. The using the. Uh, the the germans to make them look not quite so bad and how mm. people can adjust to situations when it could be a, a it bit could worse. Be worse yeah absolutely it's sort of got that all over it this book you know <laughs> um but then life doesn't seem like a sort of uh, a happy go lucky utopia in the in the rocky mountain area as well that comes across as quite a sort of uh, weary tired dilapidated sort of place without much in the way of prospects or or central drive it, i suppose it, it also seemed to suggest that the um the color or the race relations in america mm. which was a real struggle in in reality for for decades after the war in this it feels like the um the, the white the white over race 
one and they definitely treated they they were viewing blacks as these subordinate slave race mm. all over america whether it was in the united states or in the bit that wasn't anybody's or in the bits that were japanese yeah the, the black people were slaves i think which which is also disturbing yeah i think the phrase um, dystopian certainly applies yeah it was just basically horrid to live in um this version of the future it was very well written it definitely felt real Mm -hmm. um but it's not a nice place to spend any time no wonder they all sort of bought into this alternate reality yeah they sort of the alternate reality was a bit grotesque better than this so the grasshopper lies heavy it's, i suppose it's presented as a science fiction within within this book mm-hmm. but it, it seems it seems sort of the real world is so bad and that it paints such a, a a hopeful alternate reality that clearly a lot of people are buying into this and and to the point where juliana just up sticks and goes on a pilgrimage to try and find the go right it just to get some answers perhaps she believes that there's a way to access this other world perhaps or at least find out you know, something hopeful from from the man who's writing this stuff. I mean, thinking about it, because there wasn't much in the way of us, it's perfect for the TV series, because normally, Mm. if you have a film or a book of a TV, all the people that love the book will rail against any change from the original story. And in this... Really not going to find it easy to rail for sort of well. There's 24 episodes or 12 episodes, mm-hmm. but you missed out this plot. No, 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 no. Literally, you, you there's not enough plot <laughs> for them to keep it, going for 12 episodes with this. Very much uh, an exercise for the, the the viewer, I suppose, of an exercise for whoever's adapting the thing. You've got a lot of blank canvas to work with. I mean, it's uh, same with a lot of the Philip K. Dick adaptations. I mean, I'm thinking Total Recall. Um, you know, both Total Recall films came out of essentially a one scene business it's just the mm-hmm. bit in the memory parlor that's it that's the the, the we can remember it for you wholesale and and again the uh, the do, do androids dream that's that's a lot that's, that's nearer the film but again it's, 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 it's a fragments. lot is cut out from the book mm. all of the re- weird religion aspects yes and, uh okay although the uh film does um touch on what is real mm. the book is way more what is real as is yeah. this book, actually. This book is very much the theme of, you know, is this the right reality or is the reality of the book the actual reality? Yes. Is this person who he says it is? Um, one of them is, is making a, fake antiques. It's all unreal things. reality, yeah. It then goes on to make jewellery, which the Japanese fellow has an almost supernatural experience when he sees this weird jewellery that, that yeah, Frank Frink's yeah. just made up out of the top of his head. And and I think he, at one point he goes, he ends up having some sort of spirit vision of a San Francisco from The Grasshopper Lies Heavy when he's sort of using work. using the jewellery as a focus or something. It's, yeah. Yes, yes. That, that, that was, and I have a trouble with that of pontificating about art when it's real art mm. it's just a, a problem i have in reality with anyone <laughs> that talks that much about art yes. but when it's talking about fake art in a story and they mm. spend longer on that they do on murder, that to mean killing that... and, and bombing the world oh yeah. god it took too long <laughs> the art was probably an allegory for drugs <laughs> Well, that's probably pretty much has to be with dick, when, when it? it's yes. dick yeah usually it's either drugs or paranoia <laughs> mm, mm, well those it, it does feel like a philip k dick novel yeah there's a lot of a sort of unpleasant thoughts and 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 um, yeah the perception of realities that comes up and the escapism of it all and and the the, the sort of hiding from people who are not who they say they are that sort of thing sort of threading through it all as well the only thing is in Philip K. Dick novels normally the paranoid person at the end who's built a castle, it would have he would have been a lot more paranoid because he he wasn't really laying on the paranoia very thickly in this version of uh, the world. Mm, yeah, well, I, it wasn't so much paranoia because it, it had actually happened. It's almost like mm-hmm. you're sort of thinking about what's the worst could happen if these events I, went yeah. wrong, and and then just spin it all the way out. Which I suppose is good sort of interpretive speculative fiction but Mm -hmm. i really struggled to work out who to like in this book because there were a lot of people that i mean you're right children is a is not a pleasant person in Mm. the least he's very difficult to think anything nice about him Uh, but some of the others were sort of i sort of like them i sort of like the japanese 
characters. I think all of them came across, because you had interior monologues, they seem to be certainly... They're trying to do right by the people vaguely, they're governing. Vaguely, yeah. yeah, vaguely nice people. And incidentally, you said that some Japanese person had pointed out the uh, the fake the fakes in children's mm. store. No, but it he doesn't expose him. It, it was Frank... Oh. Frank, who went there as the subordinate of a imaginary Japanese admiral who said, no, this is fake. Oh. And he knew that because he'd made it. Oh, so he was course. trying to they, they, they weaken, pull a sort of scam, yeah. don't they? Yeah. He, he was trying to weaken children's position so that when they came with real stuff, yes, um, with the art that he'd made, it, they'd have a chance of selling it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's quite quite labyrinthine that, and doesn't really appear mm-hmm. to go anywhere either. At the end of it all, I mean, if you yeah. had to say, well, did the book does the book have a protagonist? I suppose it's Juliana and a. And a a bid to try and find out what's going on with the book, but again, that doesn't really sort of it, does, it has a bit of bit of moment, bit of movement, and then it sort of coasts to a halt at the end again. Well, it's, no one really grows in this. Uh, no. no one comes away with it having learned a lesson and made themselves a better person. No, no. I mean, even even the well, man the, in the high castle himself is largely bemused by the whole thing at the end. Yeah. Isn't Frink at the end of it's in a better position than he was at the beginning because he'd just been fired and he was shouting racist abuse at his mm. uh, and then his sort of his manager leaves the boss with him and they end up setting up this and the japanese really like what they're doing so they yeah. see a future for so them doing a that. Small so it sort of looks like it's going to go it well. sort of um. feels like <laughs> his 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 life is better at the end than it was at the beginning mm. and he nearly got put in the gas chambers and then i'm um, very odd happenstance happened to get out of it mm. sort of, yeah. oh well all things are the I Ching touch things and the I Ching together so yeah. if, if only because because to uh, was it to Tagomi had seen his art it changed his perception of the world and therefore he freed this Jew who was going to oh it's just yeah, and they, yeah. I'm sure in Dick's mind there was a direct <laughs> connection between creating the art, changing this man's mind, and then being freed from prison. Yeah, it I mean, didn't, so it didn't hang into the I story. Don't know, is enough is, to make is sense. there context we're missing here? I mean, partly, yes, this is Philip K. Dick, but this was also written in, the, in 1963. This was the winner. So, mm-hmm. is this a product of its time, do we think? Or? I, yeah, I was a bit confused as to whether. So we're going quite far back into reality. the Hugos now. I mean, yeah. this was only 10 years after the Hugos started. In, they started in 53. Yeah. This is 63's winner. And yeah, like yeah, I was a bit baffled. 50 or more years reality, old. Is the I Ching viewed as really magic? Is it really connecting you to alternate realities? I don't know. Is they it take a lot of... really... I don't think they believe it's... I don't think they believe um, it's scientifically provably true, but I think they, they rely on it as a kind of... Flip. It's, it's a sort of, it seems to be used as a kind of way of abdicating responsibility for picking your own course and doing making your own decisions. Yeah, the I Ching yeah, says do this. Essentially, they the, use it as a kind of in-depth flipping it, a coin. Yeah. yeah, but the answers they got for it all the way through mm. always seemed to be the author pointing things out to the characters rather than... It- to the oh, I Ching as a mechanism. Dick, Dick mm. did say that he used the I Ching to help write the book, and that's why the ending <laughs> yeah, but, uh, doesn't uh, go anywhere because it just stopped talking to him. So, if you are basically <laughs> rolling a dice to uh, write a book, it's going to be a little bit weird. So, this is kind of a sort of true journey adventure. He was trying to sell it. So, mm. <laughs> yeah, it's probably completely untrue. Mm, well, yeah, who knows? But. Yeah, yeah, an odd thing. So, John, you you chose this one for us. Um, <clears throat> what, what, why, why, which, what, <clears throat> why, why pick this one out of, out of the list of the Hugo's? Is it is it purely because of the the Philip K. Dick connection then? Yeah, and also it, the whole concept behind it is slightly more interesting than the usual <clears throat> Hugo Fair because you get an awful lot of big space opera. Yeah, you get an awful lot of the uh, space operas. You don't get an awful lot of alternate history stuff, and. Mm. Yeah, you know, there was alternate history before this, but there was a lot more after it, partially because this was successful and interesting. It's it opened up the floodgates yeah. to a lot of books. 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not something that I guess you'd seen a lot of up to that point, particularly with the Second World War, because, you know, I mean, you'd need a bit of time, a bit of water under the bridge before people start writing about it anyway. And then, and then, oh gosh, that's quite daring. How about, how about what we, we, we speculate about what happens if, if, if Hitler had won? Yeah. Hitler, by the way, during this story is incapacitated with syphilis, and I think Martin Bormann is the Chancellor. Um, there's, there's, yeah, as you say, exposition dump, D&D campaign, source book type stuff. There's a big old list of what happens to make things go wrong. I think it all diverges from our reality when Roosevelt gets assassinated in 1933, and then which causes the Great Depression to continue on into, into World War II, which stops America getting involved in anything, and the rest is uh, not history, as they say. But... Um, <clears throat> So this, um, so we don't actually see any other Philip K. Dick nominated um, for Hugo's. Flow my, Flow my tears. The people Flow my said tears. is uh, nominated. Okay, I did not come across that one. What, Which is a, it's, a, it's a set in a dystopian version of 1988, I think. Hmm. So yeah, it's, it's another alternate uh, future okay. in this case one, which yeah. is only slightly uh, removed from now. Hmm. I suppose you could call you could call um to Android's Dream an alternate reality one now. Does that not set in nineteen eighty seven or two twenty seventeen, something like that? Twenty seventeen, isn't it? Twenty seventeen. Blade Runner, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the book actually says when it's set, but the film oh, right. is. The film is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I mean I come across this kind of thing with uh, Robert Harris's fatherland. Um that's, that's not Hugo at all, but uh, runs on a similar premise. That's sort of set in the 60s when, you know, after Germany had won the Second World War and sort of starts off as a kind of police procedural and, and then sort of develops into a very dark direction there as you go. And, and yeah, similar kind of world-building exercise, which I suppose must be quite fascinating, but also, yeah, quite grim, quite hard work. There's a massive sort of um, appendix to Fatherland where Harris actually starts, you know, listing out all the people he'd written about and that you know, if they were real or not and what actually happened to them and so on it must take a quite a toll um <laughs> writing this kind of work it's trying to imagine the worst of what could possibly have gone wrong in the in history yeah especially if you're of somebody of a certain disposition like um dick was if you already think the government are out to get you and 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 yeah, have quite and, a lot of drugs yes. and of course famously the government actually were out to get him so uh, it's not really paranoia if they are breaking into your house <laughs> and having a look around <laughs> Yeah, well. <clears throat> so, have you have you seen the TV show, John? That's the interesting thing. I saw the uh, pilot, which is the episode you saw. I think, yeah, I think so. But uh, I never got around to watching the rest of it. I'm sure you got the Amazon stuff. Yeah, no, I've stuff. got full access to both seasons. And mm. at a click of a button, I could watch it. I've just never done it. And I don't know why, because, you know, I really do like Philip K. Dick. I like this novel. I don't like reading this novel, but I like this novel. That, uh, that is, yeah, that's, that's sort of what I was getting as well. Is it, it feels like an important and, and interesting and useful win, but I love the idea. sit down and read through it. I love everything about it, apart <laughs> yeah. from the actual book. And so I should be watching the TV show. I just, I don't know, there's something about the whole weight of the TV show that makes me not quite want to dive in unless I'm in the perfect mood and I haven't been in that perfect mood for the two years since it started. So I don't know when that'll happen. In a way, this is exactly like Eve. Eve is fantastic to talk about and hear stories about, but you don't actually want to spend your time <laughs> in there oh, you mean Eve having the shit yeah. out of you. Yeah, oh, Eve yeah. Online. And this, talking about it, watching yeah. a TV show about it, yeah. is fantastic. I'm glad I read it. I, there's a lot to say and there's a lot to admire in the superb brilliance of the writing, but... I'd rather talk about it than read it. Yeah, I Look. and now I think about it, I'm pretty sure I've read this before. It must have been about like five or ten years ago, and I don't remember anything about what happened in it at all, which is terrible. I mean, I think I vaguely I just about remember that I'd read it. And yeah, obviously I've reread it recently again for this show, and I can feel it fading already. It's it's the sort of it's the themes and the idea of it that are really powerful and interesting, but the actual execution, I suppose, is 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 yeah. less memorable. It's harder to, to get behind, I think. 
the world is a lot stronger than the plot, definitely. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, sort of thinking about the TV show, yeah, I'm just thinking, wow, if they got that far through the, the, the written work in that pilot one episode and and still had to add all that extra sort of B-plot with the, with the, with the New York side and the Nazi prosecutor guy. But you don't need the, any of the other plots. The, the, the world itself is so full of plots well, that just, they yeah, can I was just, just use. What do, they, what do they do for the next sort of seven or eight episodes? <laughs> Where's that go? Because uh, in the interestingly in the TV show it's actually film, isn't it? It's not just the book. This grasshopper lies heavy book. There's actually newsreel that, that they're what they're watching. Yeah, <clears throat> which I suppose makes it a bit more. I suppose it opens up the possibility that there could actually be an all an all reality, presuming assuming that it's very practically very difficult to uh, fake film reel in in that time period in the sixties or whenever it's set. <clears throat> so I don't know. I'd have to yeah. Go the away TV show probably has or will have a lot more resolution than this book does have, and yeah. I can't say if the TV show does because I haven't watched it. But I know the book has no resolution. Whether or not the alternate universe is real and it's sort of poking through reality somehow, and yeah. that's where the book came from, we don't know. Yeah, yeah. So, are you saying that what this TV series really desperately needs is J.J. Abrams at the wheel? So no. It never has a resolution that's lost <laughs> and confused. Nothing exactly needs J.J. Abrams at the wheel. <laughs> I think what you need for this to to be a, a film or TV show is is a screenplay writer who's not afraid to take the, what the source material and then really make a go of it of, of their own. Really not afraid to add their own ideas and significantly change it up even because I'm just not sure an absolutely faithful adaptation of this book would make for well coherent, let alone good viewing. You know. Well, famously, they tried to make it into a film a couple of times before it ended up as a TV show, and oh. I do not think this would work as a film. Well, because you can't adapt this book as a film because one, it'll be four films and four <laughs> short films, and yeah, and yeah, a lot of people wandering out the cinema at the end going, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> so, are, are they going to in the TV series have Juliana as a fairy? Are they going to have <laughs> vampires and werewolves? And, I think we're you know, moving Buffy back into magic realism again. In, yeah. yes. Buffy the Vampire Slayer in a Nazi-occupied uh, <laughs> New York. <laughs> well. Judo instructing fairy kicking ass and Nazi occupying. Yeah, I mean, you could, you could, yeah, you could probably have some fun with this, but <laughs> and you, could, you could say it's all in, this, in well, the book. <laughs> and, and it being a Philip K. Dick adaptation, no one could convincingly prove that you were wrong. No, it could be anything at all. I'm sure that some of the listeners have actually uh, watched the TV show mm. and uh, know the answer to this. I'd but I don't want to here. collapse that way for. I want to believe that it either could or couldn't be possible. I think you need to take one for the show. You need to sit down and box it, binge this, get to the bottom of what the hell yeah, this is what's going on here. I'll do a follow-up on one of the later episodes. <laughs> so really, tell, tell us, John, what was that really all about? Yeah, it's, it's a strange thing. It feels important. It feels worthy, but it feels uh, as, you know, from my from my position as, a, as an enthusiastic Philistine, I, I did sort of come away from the end of it all going, eh? You know, well, what was that all about? And yeah, just scenes, pastiches, glimpses, and visions of, and and it is it really is about the world building, and not really so much about a, a sort of tale of anything particular. You know, <clears throat> strange, it, strange thing. Yeah, I mean, I've read a few Philip K. Dick stories because I, I like the films and things that they were based on, and mm. this has left me less irritated than almost anything else of his I've ever read. Oh wow! <laughs> so there, there are a lot, there are a lot of these are worse than this in that regard. Well, not not are not worse. It's well, just worse, perhaps the wrong word. A lot but... of them are not to my taste, mm. and this They're spiky. Just yeah, this mm. one just hit hit the right spot for me. It, it was hard work. But I can see the beauty in it. I can see the, the, the Well, talent. that's the thing. I mean, anyone else, you'd just pass it off as bad writing. But the, the, there is really, it's really good at the, the short scenes the, the, and the mm -hmm. thought-provoking character dialogues and inner in monologues and so on. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's just the sort of, I don't know, perhaps he struggles with the long form. I don't know. Is it, is, is, are there any of his works what you might consider to be doorstoppers or are they all essentially short stories? I don't think you've looked long. No, they, they were all fairly short. Yeah, they, they don't get massively big. I can't think of one. I can't <coughs> so, see one on the shelf. So I've got it here. This, this one is two, 250 pages, just about. Um, Which is a nice length for a book. 
Well, it seems way too long, I think, for, for what he's okay, trying to do. Nice length for a normal book. <laughs> I mean, I, I personally, yeah, I, I love massive sort of seven hundred page door stoppers anyway. But I couldn't see, I just wouldn't want another sort of tooth, <laughs> another thing three times as long as this, you know, with with the same sort of stuff going on and the same if, sorts of non-resolutions yeah. and. If he meandering. wrote any more, he'd just have put another five hundred pages about. Uh, Tagomi being lost in, you know, <laughs> it is a contemplation of a piece of jewellery. Um, I'm not sure I want another 500 pages of that, to be honest. Mm. So, John, um, so what other, what other Philip K. Dick would you rather have seen here in this slot? Is this his best? Uh, uh, well, yeah, I would have liked to have seen We Can Remember a Few Hell Cell nominated, because mm, mm. uh, that actually is a very interesting book. That's I've, I've read. I've read that relatively recently, and that is a lot more of a coherent narrative to it. Yeah. There is a story to that. I mean, there's there is a lot of a lot of messing with your head goes on in there, particularly the business with the whole fake police station halfway through, but which doesn't turn up in the film, as I recall. But, um, as an aside, at work I discovered we have an alternate office in the same town, and <laughs> now I feel exactly like I'm from that book. Oh wow! That's, Am well, I the fake probably. office or the real one? <laughs> So yeah, definitely the same sorts of themes, but it seemed or, yeah that, that would have made for a better winner, I think. I don't know what year that was or what, what else squeezed it out. Uh, out of his other stuff, I don't know. It's hard to say. I don't think anything's really. I mean, stuff like Valis or something is. I don't think Hugo material. Although it's interesting. Mm, it's well, not yeah. Hugo material. Uh, it, uh, like I said before, in my view, his strengths can be best summed up by the uh, short story uh, collections that are out there, mm. um, which are some of the best books that I think that you can buy in science fiction. Just the, the quality of his short stories are outstanding. As you can tell by just the number of uh, films that have come out of them, yes. just because of one scene makes a whole film, because yeah, yeah, that idea one, is one, so he'll good. Write one scene uh, with a really, really good idea, and and then he'll take that good idea and twist it in, in ways you hadn't thought of as well, and then that then goes on to become a fantastic film or whatever. But yeah, I think he's perhaps a bit lost in the, in the, the long-form genre. I think he's perhaps not well-suited to it. Well, I, he, the problem is he's not really meandering around an idea in this. Hmm. When he's sort of... Um, meandering around the ideas of uh godhood or uh things like that he has a bit more focus but in this he's lacking any real thing to hang it around there's no mm. there's it's a geopolitical story sort of yeah a it's, history book but it's yeah. not talking about state of mind or a state of imagination he's talking about a state of the world it does sort of feel like he's somewhat out of his normal comfort zone when he's writing this. I know you wouldn't expect that in-depth research about the horrors of the Nazis is is is, is anyone's in, in you know, area of expertise. Hope, but but yeah, yeah. But I do it's, think that makes it this probably his most mainstream book because hmm. you know it's not completely out there and talking about crazy things. Yeah, and people can understand it. I think, when I think, Dick is to be honest full out it, it, it's pretty hard to just jump on if you're not really expecting it yeah but i think philip k dick people come to him for the crazy anyway really so so yeah, yeah expecting this, this as a philip k dick book and then reading through and, and getting what you get i think might be a bit of a letdown and perhaps not representative then i guess i haven't really read a lot much, of his stuff but. yeah this is much more unfocused this is crazy yeah yeah and yeah he's he's definitely more comfortable in crazy town <laughs> Yeah, bizarrely, uh, I'd say, while this is his most approachable book, hmm. it's probably not the one that you should approach. Yeah, yeah. Although not. you should approach it because the concepts behind it, everyone should read it at least once, I think. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think it's worth a look, see what you get out of it, but be prepared for something perhaps a bit unexpected and a bit unusual. Yeah. And it does help if you've got a podcast to record afterwards. <laughs> Only read it if it's homework for a gig. Uh -huh. um, well, I'm not sure about that. <clears throat> uh, let's have a look at the other nominees for the year then. So this is 1963, and uh, Philip K. Man in the High Castle won. We also had Marion Zimmer Bradley, The Sword of Aldenese. Anyone read that? 
I haven't. <laughs> nope. <laughs> okay. Uh, Arthur C. Clarke, A Fall of Moondust. That I have read. That is essentially a kind of disaster book. Uh, it's essentially about a lunar surface crawling uh, vehicle, like a, bo- a bus trip across the surface of the moon, where and a moonquake releases a hitherto unknown pocket of gas under the uh, thing, which basically causes it to collapse and disappear into the seas, the seas of dust on the moon. And it's essentially, a, it becomes a sort of rescue story about getting out there and trying to rescue the passengers and crew of this this bus thing and also quite involved story about the the interpersonal dramas and relationships of the people inside it is a sort of classic uh, disaster movie you know shipwreck kind of thing but with the added sort of sci-fi-ness of it all taking place on the moon and it's quite hard science fiction you know there's there's no sort of magic science dealing with any problems here it's all it's all relatively uh, relatively well well thought out i quite enjoyed that um i'm surprised that's not been turned into some sort of film or something by now uh, we've got H. Beam Piper, Little Fuzzy. Don't know anyone. Yeah, it, it's sort of a bit like um, sort of a sort of a kid story sort mm. of thing. It I I had a copy of it for years and could never get through more than about a chapter of it. It's about some weird Ewok creature things that were <laughs> cute and fluffy and and about two foot tall and um, it was uh, Ooh, it was like pretty books. pretty. Yeah, very mm. much Ewoky, and, and <laughs> apparently uh, in 2011, John Scalzi, who mm. we have previously encountered, oh, yes. uh, published a, a reboot of the original story oh, right. called Fuzzy Nation. Okay, because there oh, were yeah. several of the fuzzy then. stories, and they were all well, they were all not for me. Right, <laughs> fair enough. I, I suspect this is a book I shall be missing. Mm. Uh, and then we've got Jean Bruler's Silver. Uh, again, not heard of it. Uh, well, I haven't read it, so so um, yes, I don't know. Well, what looking else? at those five, you can see why he won. It's because I, none I, of the I others would, have lived long in the memory, have they? I would have gone with a fall of moon dust on more technical, okay. con- conventional. Hugo you can't basis. give it to Clark every week. <laughs> well, I don't. Yeah, I don't know how how many other goes he'd had. I mean, was there a sense perhaps that it was it was Philip K. Dick's turn to get one? Is that is no? That, it was quite early was on in his career. Unusual? It's 63, yeah. Yeah, he went on a long time after that. So So that was all quite new then for him. Yeah. He'd been around, but I don't think he was quite as massive as he was. He wasn't an owed one. Not sure they were very good at uh, at picking turns, because by this stage, Heinlein had won it three times already Mm. in 10 years. And nobody else had got, got more than one. Because so, um, Arthur C. Clarke then went on to win in uh, 74 with Rendezvous with Rama uh, and possibly more beyond. I think Fountains of Paradise, yes, 1980, Arthur C. Clarke wins again. So, there's, so yeah. there's a lot of, oh, oh God, Asimov hasn't got one. Quick, give him. What was it? It was a <laughs> oh God, foundation. Found, yes. Some, there was a foundation not. Yes, 1983, Asimov wins with Foundation's Edge, which is, you know, like a sequel after a sequel. But Asimov had already won for the gods themselves. Yes, and that is an interesting and odd one. It didn't say Foundation in the title, so they couldn't... (laughs) Just leave it at well, that. The problem with Foundation, I guess yeah, any, any any sci-fi readers worth their salt will have come across Asimov's Foundation series, but the short story that would go on to become Foundation, the Foundation series was called The Mule, and that was actually one of the retro Hugos, um, which they started awarding in 1946. Asimov sort of comes up with the short story that then develops into the Foundation, tr- the original f- trilogy. So, um, And that's one of these retro Hugos that they've started awarding to... Post, you know, the previous ones that were outstanding before the Hugo's begun. There's some good, some in, some good, um, good, good names in there as well. We have got uh, Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit four five one. That's a retro Hugo. That was awarded for fifty four. Uh, T H White Sword and a Stone at nineteen thirty nine retro Hugo. So they're sort of going backwards in time, awarding <laughs> mm-hmm. awarding people who wrote outstanding sci fi before the Hugo's. Started. You see, Sword in the Stone isn't sci-fi. It's it's definitely no. fantasy yeah. Yeah, through and through. It's a, it's a cracking good book, though. So it's all retelling of the Arthurian legends, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we better wrap up then. Um, and you didn't think we'd manage to fill in. <laughs> I, I honestly We've done had trouble pretty because, well. Yeah, yeah, I, mm, yeah. 
So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm putting it down in the interesting but not fun category again. And uh, <laughs> there's a couple we've had in there so far. Um, We're not doing well on the old rip, uh, ripping yarns, are we? No, no. Again, this is not not really a, a massive sweeping space opera. Um, so what do, you, what do you think of it in a, in a, in a short sentence there, John? Uh, interesting, worthy, but maybe not something you need to return to. Mm-hmm. Toe rag. It's a great creation, but it's no. It's got no story. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, right. Well, so we'll be back with the uh, the book thing in another month. This next one for those playing along at home is Dan Simmons' Hyperion. Uh, this is my pick. I'm going to go with that one. And uh, it's the I believe the 1990 winner. So we're sort of coming forward a bit into the 90s. Uh, so yes, Hyperion by Dan Simmons. You can find that in your places you go to buy books. Um, and we'll be about that in in about a month's time. But uh, until then, see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.